Talk Money is a production of Lola Media. Say hi, Lola. <coughs> For updates, further breakdowns, and past episodes of this podcast, sign up at thetalkmoney.com. If you enjoy our podcast, help us get the word out. Write a review on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way to help us reach more ears. And now you can sign up for our newsletter, where we curate the best money topics of the week from across the internet. It's quick, informative, and most importantly, fun. Sign up at thetalkmoney.com slash newsletter. Hey, 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 everyone. Welcome back to the Talk Money Weekly, where we talk about current business events paired with our newsletter. Today's episode, Can You Retire on $80,000? This week, we're going to cover a few topics. One, earnings reports. Second, we're going to talk about the UFC Crypto.com $175 million deal. And three, we're going to talk about wealth building, whether you can actually retire on $80,000 in crypto, or is that a pipe dream? Okay, so let's get into it. It's earnings season. This is where public companies deliver their quarterly earnings to Wall Street where they tell you how well or not well they're doing. And usually if they're not doing well, they'll mask it with some type of narrative. So usually the way it works is Wall Street sits there and they make guesses on how much you've made, how much revenue you made, how much profit you've made, what you're going to tell them about the future and the outlook of a company. And then the company comes out with its actual earnings. So what they did make, and then Wall Street either shits on them or loves them and the stock moves one way or the other. In general, like it's really bogus, the fact that companies have to do this and the fact that the stocks move one way or the other on a quarterly basis, especially when you're thinking about like investing in these companies for the long run, right? If you're an employee at this company, you care about the next 10 years of this company. If you're an investor, you care about the next, call it three to five years, hopefully 10 years. And especially if you're one of the executives or CEOs of this company, like that's your job. Like you shouldn't be really thinking about making people happy on a quarterly basis. You should just be focused on growing your company, growing the profits, growing the revenue and making sure that the outlook looks really good. You know, it's a little rant on how this works. Unfortunately, it's here to stay. But anyways, earnings season kicks off. And when earnings season kicks off, everyone's paying attention or at least people who are in this investment world pay attention to how these companies are doing. So it usually kicks off with the banks. They kick off every earnings season. So Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, Bank of America, they'll all announce their earnings. I guess one of the benefits of earnings is that you actually see what's happening with the company and you know what their revenue looks like and the projections. Like for a bank, it's how the markets have affected a bank's earnings. Everything from like bank deposits to mortgages to, you know, for Goldman Sachs, it's more like the trades that they're doing, are they profitable? If they do an IPO, how much money did they make on that IPO? And that will go back in and be seen in the earnings report. Other companies that are coming up are Microsoft, Facebook, Netflix. For Netflix, it's usually something like, what was subscriber growth like? What are the new stuff that's coming in as content to hopefully help build subscriber growth? If you're looking at a Disney, it's how the parks are performing, how the movies and the content are performing, which is basically going back into Disney's subscriber of like Disney Plus, how ESPN's performing, and then all that together makes up the bottom line, which is their profits. Uh, and then, you know, it's revenue and you see like what the costs are coming from and where the growth is. And one of the main things of earnings is really the outlook. That's what's actually most important. It doesn't really matter. I mean, it does matter what they did make, but what really matters is how much they're going to make or what they say they're going to make. 
and that's what actually moves a stock up and down. And it's called guidance. And when guidance looks really positive, people get excited about the stock and they buy into it. It's not something I really pay attention to, to be honest. Like, I don't really care. It's just interesting to see how a company is doing. But if you've invested in a company, you're kind of like, yeah, I'm in this for the next several years. So what does a quarter matter as long as the ultimate goal um, is that they're continuing to go up? Now, obviously, you pay attention to earnings over a period of time to see if a trend in a company has changed. So let's say that you're super bullish on, let's use Netflix as an example, and then you just slowly start seeing that subscriber growth is going down, 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 down. You know, there's more competition coming. And so then you start thinking like, hmm, maybe they did reach their top. And there's just too much competition in the market now. And the continuous negative growth is a bad sign. And maybe that looks like, I don't know, maybe this company's not going to go further up from where it is. So that's earnings. And obviously, there's some really cool companies coming up with earnings. It's usually kicked off with the bank. Bank of America actually already announced their earnings. For example, they slightly missed on earnings. And so basically, Wall Street said they thought they were going to do. So this is the ridiculous thing about it. The street, i.e. Wall Street, estimated that they would make $21.8 billion, and they came in at $21.6 billion, and the bank blamed it on low interest rates that are influencing the whole financial sector. This is from Yahoo Finance, and what it means is low interest rates have an effect on you know, making money off of deposits, and that could potentially influence how much money they're making. And you know, when you're talking about like, Imagine like pennies, but like spread across like millions of people or like billions of dollars in deposits that actually influences a stock. Now, how did the stock perform after that? Bank of America as a result eh, traded down about two ish percent. Not a big deal. What's two ish percent? That shouldn't be like, oh, my God, I'm about to lose all my money. These things are just kind of dumb, to be honest. It's like these small misses and stuff. And then, you know, the bank will say the bank will announce something interesting. So a lot of these banks are sitting on a ton of money. There's not much they can do in the market with low interest rates. So they'll say, hey, we're going to do a dividend hike, which means if you own Bank of America, you know, because they're so profitable and they have a lot of cash on their balance sheet and they're not doing anything with that cash, i.e. they're not doing a bunch of R&D or buying other companies or reinvesting in the company, they give that back to shareholders in the form of a dividend. So Bank of America has a dividend yield of 1.9%, meaning that if you hold Bank of America, the money that you hold in the stock will also return 1.9% on an annual basis. And so with Bank of America, one of the things that they do to make shareholders happy is that they'll say, hey, we're going to increase the dividend. So we're going to give you more money back for holding the stock. So that's one way that they give some type of positive outlook and they make everyone happy, right? Because at the end of the day, if you're a public company, what you have to do is that you have to make shareholders happy. That's what matters. You want people to hold shares in your company. And so the way to do that is either to say, hey, we're going really fast or profits are looking really good or we're looking really healthy financially, or we're going to give you more money back because like, you know, we've gotten so big and we're doing really well. So that's Bank of America. Some of the other companies that are going to be reporting soon are Tesla, Google, Microsoft, Boeing, Facebook, so we cover this over the next few weeks um, as they start releasing earnings and dive into that in more detail. So one of the companies I'm interested in, in actually diving deeper on would be Disney. I'm excited about looking at Disney's earnings, really because I'm just a huge consumer of all their products, right? I'm not going to the parks, 
but I do watch a lot of the Disney Plus stuff. I watch all the Marvel stuff. I watched Loki, great show. That Black Widow movie came out and it absolutely crushed it in comparison to like what movies post-pandemic have been doing. They made about $80 million in the U.S. box office, an additional $60 million from Disney Plus subscriptions, and then like another $70 million overseas. So yeah, you know, for a $200 million budget movie, that's pretty good in a post-pandemic world, I'd say. That's why you invest so much money in this in the superhero shit. It makes a lot of money. I find it very interesting that people are still going to the movies. So $80 million for a box office in the United States is actually pretty good, considering that all movie theaters haven't fully opened. There's still social distancing. So imagine that like, you know, 80 million to like mid 100 millions are like great for a big box office film. And so the reason why I'm interested in Disney is just I want to see how much of the content stuff has to do with the revenues of Disney and how much it impacts it. Because when you think about Marvel and Disney, the reason why they're investing so much in Marvel is because, one, it's evergreen content that pushes not only subscriber growth to Disney Plus as they release more and more shows and have a back catalog, but then there's like syndication revenue from like showing those movies on TV and cable. And then obviously you have the box office numbers and then you have like the Marvel new park that just opened. Uh, so people are now going to the parks and then you have all the other stuff that they sell. Disney's flywheel is pretty amazing. Marvel makes them a shit ton of money. So I'm just curious to see how that plays into Disney as a stock and look at the earnings. It's been a while since I've dissected something like that. So it'll be fun to do that. Another thing that Disney owns is Disney owns ESPN. And ESPN has a, a deal, an exclusive deal with the UFC. And I am a UFC fan. It's one of those things I basically watch every single UFC pay-per-view. It's an interesting demographic of people that watch this stuff. I'm probably not like most of them. Uh, I won't get into the politics there. But um, yeah, I enjoy watching the stuff. I watched the McGregor fight over the weekend. It blew numbers away. I think you know, Conor McGregor has, uh, he's in the top five of all major pay-per-views in combat sports. And so I think the numbers were like over 2 million pay-per-view buys. Uh, so at $60 a pop or $70 a pop, that's a lot of money. And so that's part of the ESPN deal. And UFC is technically its own company, but it's all kind of connected. But one of the things I noticed that was a little weird is that the UFC has been really pushing for this like look that all the fighters have. Like back in the day, the fighters used to wear their own shorts and have their own sponsors. And it was much more lucrative for a fighter. Like they would wear, you know, let's say one fighter was sponsored by Nike. The other one was sponsored by Monster. And so they got to make their own deals on the side and kind of like creators, like with the platform. And obviously the ones that make more money are the ones that are much better on the mic as well as in the octagon itself. Obviously, Conor McGregor is the best at that. He's really, really good at selling fights and bringing entertainment and drama. In this case, the reason why there was so much buzz around this one was that not only was it a rematch the guy was talking a lot of shit i mean he was basically telling his opponent he was going to murder him and then he went after his wife which is like a big no-no you don't go after families and so people wanted to see dustin poirier beat his ass which he did do and then connor broke his leg and then he still talked shit about the guy's wife it's just insane you know, but meanwhile, they're all wearing these new kits, as they're calling it, and they don't get to have their own sponsors. It's 
used to be Reebok, but now it's Venom, which is like an MMA brand. I think part of it is that they want the UFC to look more like a regular sports league. And I get from a branding perspective, they don't want to make it look like, you know, these guys are a bunch of like barbarians and women. They're both in it. And the female fighters are also just as good. I mean, they sell some pretty great fights there. And uh, it does make it look a little bit more cleaner on a branding level, but the fighters don't make much money from it. So, you know, think about fighters making like, if they're wearing a Reebok kit or a Venom kit, they're making like $50,000. But the new kits have Crypto.com as the main sponsor on it. And I was watching this and I was like, what the hell is Crypto.com? Like, Now, granted, I'm an investor in crypto and I'm not like super deep from, from the standpoint of I more invest in other funds and I have my Bitcoin and Ethereum and I just kind of don't touch it. But I don't know what Crypto.com is. Apparently, it's an exchange that's based in Hong Kong. It's got, I think, 10 million users on it. But they paid the UFC $175 million to be their official sponsor, and it's everywhere. You would think that, well, if I'm going to make my fighters wear these jerseys or kits or whatever the hell you want to call it with Crypto.com on it, and since the UFC on one side says Venom, you think they would get paid for it. They apparently don't get any money from from that deal, and it was a $175 million deal. So it's one of those things where, you know, the UFC is different because not only do they own the organization, they control the production of everything. They control everything around it, including the payouts of all these players and what they're allowed to do in and out of the octagon. Obviously, a lot of these fighters will use the platform and they'll build their own stuff on Instagram and on social and build their own businesses. You know, a lot of these fighters own gyms. A lot of them do like videos and get their own sponsorships. Obviously, going back to Conor McGregor, he's done everything from investing in whiskey. He's got this lifestyle, the Mac life, which is like an Instagram feed and like a social feed. And then he's got a sports management thing. So he's really taken the platform and done a bunch of things with it. But for the other fighters, yeah, it's not it's not that great. And that kind of sucks. I'm sure there's a reason for it. And honestly, like what the UFC and Dana White have done, like whatever you want to think about Dana White, like it is pretty amazing as a fan of the sport. We're really seeing it get the respect it deserves. But, you know, fighters are upset that they're not getting their money's worth. And then you go see, you know, what's happening in boxing and all these like TikTok and YouTubers making an embarrassment of themselves, but they're getting paid. Technically, some of them are getting paid, like Triller with Jake Paul, who's like promoting these fights, like they'll get paid a lot of money. But then some of the other like shady platforms that are trying to get all these YouTube stars and TikTok stars to do like celebrity boxing type stuff, they're not making money. They're actually going bankrupt. So it just goes to show how hard the fight game and combat sports is. It's a very hard business uh, to make it in. So it's kind of sucks. Like I'd rather see like a, a big brand that we're all familiar with be a sponsor versus crypto.com. Just another crypto company paying a lot of money to get their name places. And this is where it gets a bit tough because there is a lot of like shady stuff that happens in crypto and a lot of scams out there. So it's hard to tell um, what's real and what's not. And when you have a shit ton of money, you can really do a lot with it. And granted, I don't know enough about crypto.com to make an a, assumption about it, but it, it was it just looks a little weird. If it was a Coinbase or someone else, like, okay, that would be a little bit different, like a, a more recognizable name that was in the US, um, fine. But obviously crypto is really hot. Everyone's talking about it. Everyone's talking about Bitcoin. They talk about Ethereum. They talk about all these new projects and it's amazing what's happening. They talk about NFTs. And so it, it makes sense it makes sense, especially for the probably the viewers that are watching the UFC. I mean, they understand that the audience is probably like pretty interested in crypto. So it makes sense from like a deal perspective. 
as a fan and then also just as an investor, it's just like crypto.com. I don't know. It's like having pets.com as a sponsor. But what do I know? But crypto in general, from kids to an older generation, everyone's interested in it. Everyone's downloading the Coinbases of the world and asking whether they should invest in Bitcoin or Ethereum. You have the folks who've been investing for a long time that have made a boatload of money. And then you have the people that invested uh, you know, at the height of the pandemic. And now they're down like 30, 40, 50% and are feeling the initial waves of what this is like. And so I saw an interesting tweet written by this guy, Chris Bach or Bakke. I don't know how to pronounce his name, but it's at Chris J. Baki with two Ks. And he wrote, 27-year-olds in SF with an $80,000 crypto portfolio say, I'm pretty well off, so I might try to retire in five years. And then he says, 67-year-old farmers in the Midwest with $27 million of land and $4 million in crop revenue say, it ain't much, but it's honest work. Don't think I'll ever be able to retire, though. Uh, yeah. I mean, a 27 year old living in SF with an $80,000 crypto portfolio thinking they're well off and they might try to retire in five years. They're living at their mom's house or they have free rent because San Francisco is an expensive place. And let's be honest, like, yes, a hundred thousand dollars at that age or $80,000 in that age is great. But let's say in five years, yeah, you're in your mid thirties. You know, you have a little bit more of an expensive taste. You might have a family that's tough to live off of. And I'll be honest with you, like to live off your cash, you need a lot of cash. You need a lot of cash because one, you have expenses. So you're going to run through that pretty quickly. You have living expenses. And obviously there's the people that I know you live in your van, you travel around, you work from home. You could probably make it work, but you know, that's you. And then there's people who actually want to live in a city and live in a town and buy a house and stuff. So everyone's different. But then you're, you're thinking, well, I'll just invest it. Well, okay, well, with investing, you can't really retire off that money because you have to grow the money. You have to build the wealth. And so you can't be taking money out as you're trying to grow it. And then if you want to be making interest off that money, well, interest rates are pretty low. And even if it was at 2 3% on eighty dollars to $100,000, that's not that much money. What is it going to cover? Your utilities? Maybe. So you really need like a boatload of money to retire. And I, you know, obviously this was like a joke tweet. You go back to the 67-year-old farmer with $27 million of land and $4 million in crop revenue. And it's like, it's just a different mentality. It's like this mentality of people who are just like, we're just going to continue to work. We're going to continue to grow that wealth. And the moment you stop working, you stop making income and you don't have money to like grow, 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 grow. And so I think it's a balance between the two. If the 27-year-old in SF with 80K is like, I'm going to continue to work. And maybe in like 10, 20 years, that money will be worth something. But obviously, you need to diversify. You don't know what crypto is going to do. You don't know what the stock market is going to do. You don't know what real estate is going to do. And so that's the importance of diversification. But you can also be too diversified. So there's just a lot of nuance with a tweet like that. But it, it just goes to show the different levels of mentality of folks who like, hey, let's say a young person made a bunch of money in this last crypto run or the last crypto run of the last five years or even 10 years. Yes, they can retire potentially, but if you have expensive habits, like you want to buy a house, you want to buy a car, you want to get a private jet, you're buying all that fresh drip and Gucci shit, it's going to be expensive. And then obviously the mentality of these other folks are like super frugal, build wealth over time. And I did an interview recently with somebody, and I won't get into details of it because it's going to be something that's coming out later, 
But this person was a very conservative investor. He'd been around his parents for a long time. They taught him about Warren Buffett. They taught him about investing early and investing for the long run, finding value and just investing in index funds, which basically gives you like an overall exposure to the markets and you just don't touch it. It's tax efficient. And yes, if you start doing that at a young age and you think about it for the next two decades, it'll probably work out for you. And that mentality is good. And this guy did actually see an opportunity in one of these meme stocks. And he took a chunk of his money and he invested in it and he rode that wave. But unlike a lot of other people, he wasn't overly into it. He wasn't like diamond hands, go ham. I'm I'm going all in. He was just very practical about it. He's like, I'm up a lot of money. He had basically 10x his money, more than 10x his money. He took his profits. And what did he do? Instead of buying a bunch of shit, he just took that money and reinvested it back into index funds, and he's still working at his job. And that's how you build wealth. I had another friend who thought that he was going to make a ton of money trading crypto, and he made a bunch of money on the run-up, and that was it. He's like, I've got a new career. I'm going to be rich. And then the market crashed, and he lost all the money, and he hates it now, and he's back to you know doing his thing. And But yeah, like there's no secret sauce around this. If you get lucky and you find opportunity, absolutely take money off the table. You know, cash is king. You want profits. It's not real until you take it off the table and then reinvest it. Reinvesting is the best thing to do. As they say, compounding is going to make you money versus taking it out and spending it on stuff. So that's how you build wealth. Just keep investing your money. Keep a long-term view on it. Don't touch it. Don't get too excited. Don't quit your day job unless like there's a huge opportunity that's going to pay you more money. There's no real secret sauce behind it and you'll be totally fine. Whether you're doing crypto, whether you're investing in stocks, whether you're investing in real estate, whether you're investing in your job or career, it's all long term. It all plays the same way. All right, that's it for this week. We'll be touching on the earnings as they start coming out in the following weeks. I'm going to do some breakdowns on some of these companies that, again, we all use or we're all familiar with. I think it'll be fun. It'll be a nice refresher for myself. I haven't done that in like 10 years, so it'll be nice to like dive into one of the earnings reports and have some fun with it. So make sure that you're subscribed to the newsletter, thetalkmoney.com slash newsletter. Until next time.